Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Those of you who have been with us, you know we've been taking a long look at Yahweh through a series of questions. I won't review those this morning. I've been reviewing those each week. If you are not familiar, obviously you can go and check it out on YouTube. But as I, I thought about it this week, I just thought I really love theology. I know I've already confessed this to you. I love theology. I can't imagine my life without biblical theology. Um, how how dry and dead and hopeless um, and futile I think life would be lest we can look at God and be filled with awe and wonder and joy and delight. Because when we look at Him, those things happen, right? They happen. Um, we're, we're, we're drawn out of our, our own self-absorption and we're pulled into the glory of God, right? I mean, this is why he created human beings, that we would delight in him. We've talked a lot about this, but the awe comes, the, the wonder comes, the freedom comes, the foretaste of infinite exuberance comes. I love looking at him. And I, I know I refer to this, but this, these are one of the few things you have to get used to me being here. Uh, there, there are about four or five things I always return back to. It's, this is, the, the, I guess, the prerogative of, of an old pastor. But I always like to think about the guys in Revelation 4, those four living creatures. And all they do is look at God. They just look at God. Now, that's what we've been doing for about eight weeks in, in our services and also uh, Sunday nights as we study the attributes of God. We're just looking at him. And you may remember they were particularly fitted for this purpose. They were full of eyes all around and in. This has always amazed me. God built them perfectly to just drink in infinite glory and infinite beauty. And you may remember the text there in Revelation 4 it says, Night and day they do not cease to say, there's no one like you. Now, we know the text says, holy, holy, holy. But we know one thing holy means, as we discovered going through our series, is he is set apart. He is unique. There is no one like him. There is no one like him. So, when I'm immersed in biblical study and contemplation, and I'm sure this is true for all of us in here that are converted I sometimes feel what I think the Exodus Jews feel or felt as they came through the Red Sea. Those of you who know your Bibles, you know that beautiful song that they sang to Yahweh as they watched God crush the Egyptian military. And, it, it, and I'm going I'm to read some excerpts from this beautiful song. It's, it's found in Exodus 15. And it's kind of a synopsis of some of the things, or maybe even most of the things we've been talking about the last eight weeks. But if you like, just sit back and listen. Just sit and listen to how the, the exiled Jews praised God. They said, I will sing to the Lord. This is Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. Yahweh is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. 
Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? As, as I was meditating on these words and letting them wash over my, my mind and my soul, I, my mind, it's unusual sometimes the connection that the Lord he, he'll make between scriptures in, in your heart and your mind. My mind went immediately to John 8, 31 and 32. You know what Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and what? You know, don't you? You shall be free. Now, I think this is a little bit of what the Exodus Jews was feel, were feeling as they came through the Red Sea. And then they watched him crush the Egyptian military. I mean, they were free, right? They were free. Like they'd never been free before. This is what I want to talk about today. You know, we've been looking at God for eight weeks, <clears throat> which is good. And we'll look at him a little bit longer. But what does it mean for the true believer to look at God? What, how, does that, how does that flesh out in our daily lives? I mean, I think we do. I think, I think all true believers, we understand what the Jews are singing about, right? We get it. We get it. We know the truth. Our God is God. There is no other God. He's God. There is no God beside Him. As He has said often, and as we have talked about in our series, consequently, we're free to live huge and die well. I think the first time I ever preached Psalm 16, that was, I think, my title. Living huge, I'm ready to die well. And we're going to see that from David this morning. So we saw it three weeks ago as we touched on Shadrach and the boys juxtaposed to Stephen. Shadrach and the boys were delivered. Stephen was stoned. And we asked the question, what will become of us if we radically obey God? And you remember where we ended up? I don't know if it's where you ended up. It's where I ended up. Does it matter? Does it matter if he delivers us or if we're martyred? Does it matter? It doesn't matter if he's God. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if Romans 8.28 is true. It doesn't matter. You know... There's a whole lot of things we worry about in this life. And if we'll just look, as David is doing in the psalm today, if we'll just look at God, we'll realize how much it really doesn't matter and how we need to stop wringing our hands if, in fact, we are. It doesn't matter if you believe Philippians 1.21. It doesn't matter if death is gained for you. Nothing else kind of matters if death is gained for you. If you've got to that place with God, that death is gained. You know, mankind's last and worst enemy, death. What? It has no sting for us, right? We don't fear it. It's going to be a holiday for us. Is death not going to be a holiday for us? You know... I've preached two funerals with my parents, um, and I, I, had, I just had a lot of fun preaching their funeral. 
I mean, how can you not rejoice in going to be with your Creator and your Redeemer? So we've been taking a long, deliberate look at Yahweh, who He is, what He's like. And I've continued to challenge you with this overriding question. Have you truly reckoned with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God? You know, not that downsized, denominational, domesticated God that reigns in many places, but the God who says, you cannot see my face and live, that God. The God before whom mountains melt like wax, Psalm 97. The God before whom peoples tremble and the earth shake before him, Psalm 99. That's the God we must reckon with, the God who is. Not some pseudo-God, not some caricature of God, but the God who is. Not the God unbelievers and nominal Christians wished were there, but the God who is there. This is where I end up every day. The God who is there. Yahweh's the God who is there. So we have to look at Him. We have to be careful. To look at him and get an, ac an accurate view of who he is and what he expects from us. So, as you know, the question I've kept putting to you is, is uh, reckoning with the magnitude of God. That question, I think, can evoke at least two implications. One, as I've just more or less referenced, have we genuinely dealt with the potter and the clay thing? You know, I've been talking a lot about that. Have we genuinely dealt with that reality? Your clay. So if you understand the, the metaphor, you understand exactly who you are in the big scheme. You understand how you fit in the equation, right? You're the clay. That's it. He's the potter. You're the clay. We, we, we've adopted as, our, as part of our Christian resume, Isaiah 66, 2. We, we like this contrition thing and this humility thing and this trembling thing. We get it. We've seen Yahweh. We see him in the word. We see him in our mind's eye as the Holy Spirit reveals him to us. The second thing, and this is what I want to work on this morning. If, if we are realizing the breathtaking freedom that we have in this God, this is why we're in Psalm 16. He's God. And if he is your God, you have no constraints. You can live well. You can live huge. And you can die well. You will live huge. And you will die well. So, it's the God. If the God is for us, who can be against us, God? Right? It's that kind of freedom. It's knowing the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The last great fear, that being death, it is no fear for us. It's actually something that if we're maturing in the Word, we understand we're, we're, it's gain. Back to Paul. We're gain, it's gain, and we're looking forward to it in the proper way. So this morning, we won't be looking at Yahweh per se as we have been doing the last eight weeks. We'll be looking at the fruit of what it means to look at Yahweh. Okay, what is the fruit of looking at Yahweh? What is 
How does that flesh out in the Christian's life? We're looking at what looking at Yahweh looks like. This morning I want to consider the license we have in knowing the truth about Him because we spend our days looking at Him in the Scriptures. There's numerous places I could have gone, obviously many, many places in Scripture. The Lord led me to Psalm 16, so I hope you have your Bibles open. We are in Psalm 16. David is both declaring and reveling in who God is for him. Now this should be a common practice for you. Not only declaring it, but reveling in it. Do you revel in who Yahweh is for you? You know, are you finding again that liberty and that freedom and that license to live huge and be ready to die well? It's one thing we'll see David working through as we go through the Psalms. You know, we could go back and paraphrase what Jesus was saying about being free. If you abide in the truth, the paraphrase would be, if you look at me, you're absolutely free. You know, don't. I've said this to many people. If you're not looking at God, you certainly can't live the Christian life. You'll shrink back every time. Now, now it's easy in here. We, we, we mentioned this many. It's easy in here. It's easy to profess to be a Christian here. But what's really interesting to the, to, to the Lord is how you do it out there. And if you're not looking at Yahweh, if He's not your source of continual strength, you will not walk with Christ out there. You will not be able to. You'll be too afraid. You'll be too afraid. But if you're looking at Him, as David is talking about, you can live huge and die well. So in your Bible... I assume it says the same thing it says in my Bible. The title of the song, Psalm, is a mictum of David. Nobody knows what this means. Um, there's a lot of speculation about what it means. And I, I read several different takes on this. Now, Brad may know what it means, but... Scripture of David. <laughs> okay, that's one of the proposals of what it may mean. I love Charles Spurgeon's. Rendering. Charles Spurgeon prefers this rendering. It is the precious secret of David. Okay. <laughs> God is the precious secret of David. God is where David lives, right? That's where he lives. Down in, the, down in the soul, or down in the kidneys I was reading, you know, that was where the, the moral um, center of man was considered by, by, by the Jews. Down in the kidneys, that's where he lived. Down, we'd say down in our heart, God has invaded our hearts. We're delighted he's invaded our hearts, and that's where we live, right? And that's what pushes our thoughts. This is da God is David's secret to an extraordinary life. So, how did David process his extraordinary life? Well, we know some of the things he went through, right? What about being anointed as the future king of Israel as a boy? Now, that seems like a lot of pressure to me. <laughs> he just looked at God. You know, facing a lion and a bear as a shepherd, he's just looking at God. Facing and killing Goliath, he's looking at God. 
facing death every time he went out into battle? He's looking at Yahweh. Being on the run from Saul and then from his son Absalom, God was his refuge. Repentance as an adulterer and a murderer before a holy God, God was his Savior. Facing the foremost fear of every man, the grave, God was his inheritance. So in Psalm 16, David is communicating who God is for him. And, and in and in that is this absolute freedom, this inexhaustible strength, and this irrepressible joy. You know, we saw the same thing throughout the life of the Apostle Paul. So let me stop and define what I mean by living huge. Now, uh, simply doing whatever is in front of you by faith to the glory of God. That, that's what I'm talking about. You know, you, you're not going to kill Goliath. I doubt any of you kill Goliath. But if you're looking at Yahweh, you can kill every other giant in your life, right? If you're looking at God, if you're looking at God, you heard Joe read the text, and I'll get there in a minute, but I'll just reread it right now. I have set the Lord before me, continually before me. This is not something I do haphazardly. I do it all the time. You know, we run into, we run into anemic Christians all the time. Well, why are they anemic? If they're converted at all, why? They don't set Yahweh before them. They're not looking at Him. They're not in awe. They're not in wonder. They're not filled with joy and delight and this sense of invincibility because Jesus is King of kings. Amen? He's the King of kings. And He's my God and my Savior. Continuing verse 8, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You can't shake David. You can't shake a real Christian. You can't do it. You can't shake one. Doesn't mean we don't weep. Doesn't mean we don't mourn. Doesn't mean we don't grieve. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we can't be fundamentally shaken. Our hope is in Christ you know, it's not what David did. And I know he lived an extraordinary life. And I want to say this to you. And I want you to hear me. None of us are going to live the life David lived. You're not supposed to live the life David lived. You're supposed to live the life God gave you to live. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. What does it mean to live that huge? By faith to the glory of God. Your marriage, by faith to the glory of God. Raising your kids, by faith to the glory of God. Doing your job, by faith to the glory of God. It's really simple. I always say this to you, but it's always simple. Christianity is not that difficult. So it's not what David did. It's why he did it. It's why he lived the way he lived. You remember when he got in front of Goliath, what he said. He said, I'm doing this that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, do your friends and family know that there is a God in heaven because you live the way you live? Verse 1, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Simply, God is his protection. God will keep him safe. You look at the Hebrew here, literally, El Shaddai is David's watchman. He's David's guard. He doesn't have to worry about someone sneaking up behind him, so to speak. God's got him covered. 
God is David's watchman. God is my refuge, meaning my hope, my safety, my shelter, my protection. David never got weary of talking about this, so I'm just going to go down a list of psalms, and I'm going to read them to you just very briefly. If you want my notes, you can have them. Psalm 3.3, David says, The Lord is a shield about me. Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, again, my refuge. Psalm 27.5, In the day of trouble, the Lord will conceal me in His tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Psalm 32, 7. God is my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me, and I love this, with songs of deliverance. He surrounds me <laughs> with songs of deliverance. How beautiful is that? Psalm 46, 1. God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 61, 3 through 4. For God has been my refuge, a tower of strength against my enemies. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 71, 3, God is a rock of my of habitation to which I continually come. And of course, Psalm 62, 5 through 8. My hope is from God. He alone uh, is my rock and my salvation. He's my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times. Amen? O oh, people, pour out your heart before Him. God is our refuge. Now, these are just a few of David's psalms and a few of his comments. This comes from a lifetime of looking at Yahweh. You can't blow Him over. If, it, it doesn't matter if there's a nine-foot giant. It doesn't matter. You can't blow Him over. Nothing can blow Him over. Why? He's looking at God. He's looking at God. Christianity is not hard, is it? It's just actually believing what we say we believe. Right? It's just actually believing what we say we believe to be true. You know, a lot of Christians live, live these kind of, what shall we say, uh, timid. That's a good word. Sort of timid out in the world. I think this is backhanded blasphemy. To me, this is what it is. You know the God who spoke two trillion galaxies into existence and you're afraid to speak His name in the world? Are, seriously, you're, you, you tell me you know Him? You know that God and you can't speak His name out in the world? This is problematic, beloved, to say the least. David says, God is my defense, my deliverer, my fortress, my shield, my strength. He's my watchman. He's my guard. If we know God like this, we will not come to the grave without having truly lived. We will not come to the grave without knowing who we were supposed to be in Christ, right? Verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. And there it is, you can see it. I don't know if, if you've got it in your translation. I can see it in my translation. I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Okay? I have, I love this, I have no good beside you. Amen? 
I have no good but you. <laughs> you are all my good. Sadly, we know that many Christians um, who profess to be Christians, it's, it's kind of a religious thing. It's, just, it's merely religion. It's merely doctrine. It's merely check my box, try to not to go to hell, and that's about as deep as it gets. Well, we know this is, this is uh, horribly wrong. I, I, I would almost say blasphemous. I don't, I don't want to overuse that word, but, but uh, to think of Christ in those terms. You know, our lives and our words are not, we're not supposed to diminish who he is. We're supposed to magnify who he is. But so David's not talking about religious performance. He's talking about knowing God. He said, this is what it's like to know God. When you know God, you realize he is your strong tower. Every day, He's your strong tower. And every day, you cannot be blown over because He's your strong tower. Amen? If you know Him, now, if you just know about Him, that's not really true. You can't claim that. I mean, you, you, it's not real to you. It's not real to you. But if you know Him, it's pervasively and palpably, palpably real every day. So his lordship is, is seen in David's deeds. It's seen in David's life. It's, it's going to be seen in David's death. He's going to talk about it here in a minute. God will be glorified in David's death because David's looking at God. He's not looking at the grave. He's looking at God. Our lives will shout to live as Christ, to die as gain. Our lives will shout this. I love what Karen said. Every once in a while she says something good. And I try to give her credit for it. Um, I love what she said yesterday. We, we, were zooming with the, we were zooming with the Europeans yesterday. And she said, I feel like I'm a commercial. You're supposed to be a commercial, right? Of what David's talking about. David's a commercial. You're supposed to be a commercial. If it's real, you're supposed to be a commercial. It's the only reason God's left you on the planet is to be a commercial. It'd be far better to go and be with him. The only reason you, he's left you here is to be his commercial. Right? Isn't that right, baby? That's right. Did I, get you, did I quote that right? I get that. <laughs> she says, move on, move on. Um, and don't you love it? There at the end of verse 2, all my good comes from him. All my good comes from God. I love Psalm 73, 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. God's my good. If everything else leaves, God's my good. If he takes everything else, we talked about Job, God's my good. I don't have to have anything else. I have God. I have God. And beloved, don't take this for granted. Don't let this be Muzak. You know, for you, biblical Muzak, because I've been in the church all my life. I know that's all. I know what he's saying is true. I don't want you to know it's true. I want you to feel it. I want you to live it. This is not, Christianity is not about knowing, right? It's not just about knowing. Verse 3, as for the, the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. As you know, David's not talking about super duper believers here. He's talking about those who really know and love God. Some translations are different here. 
I think the NAS says majestic ones. Some translations will say excellent ones. I saw one translation that said chosen ones. So we know what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's people. Um, and he, he talks about it, it, majestic ones. You know, I love the way R.C. Sproul talks about this. R.C. Sproul makes a huge point of once we were dust, but now we're on our way to glory, right? Love that thought. From particles of dust to a conscious, living, breathing human being, and through Jesus Christ from the enemies of God to co-heirs, we've come a long way, right? <laughs> because of what God has purposed to do, how God has purposed to glorify Himself as He magnifies His grace in your life, right? So it's right for us to remember that we were dust. It's right for us to remember that we were, you know, reprehensible sinners saved by sovereign grace. This will keep us humble. But it's also right for us to never forget that we are partakers of divine nature and more than conquerors. We are excellent ones and we are magnificent ones because we are in Christ. Amen? It's good to be humble. You need to be humble. I've met too many Christians, professing Christians, who you couldn't find a humble bone in their body. It's good. But man, we got to remember too who we are and what, and what we're going to be. You know, we're going to rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth all because of Jesus. David says, I delight in the dust to glory ones. <laughs> to use Sproul's words, I delight in the dust to glory ones. In contrast, verse 4, the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied I shall not pour out their libations of blood, nor shall I take their names on my lips. Of course, he's talking about apostate Judaism and or other um, false religion in the area. We could, by extension, talk about pseudo-Christianity. They had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, right? Much of what is called the modern church. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. David says... I won't participate in that. He says, they bartered for another God and their sorrows will be multiplied forever. If you run off from Yahweh, there's nowhere to go but hell. Nowhere to go but hell. David is utterly in love with the God who is. He can't be enticed by some pseudo-God. Verse 5, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. I knew a woman in Little Rock uh, some years ago. She lost her husband and two children in a tornado. And a subsequent post on Facebook was, a small God is no good in a big storm. Now, my mind went there. When I read this verse, God is her portion, right? God is her inheritance. God is her support. Doesn't matter, does it? Back to the question. Does it matter if we're martyred or delivered? It doesn't matter. It doesn't ultimately matter. If it's in our life, God brought it. Let's find a way to magnify Him in it, right? Isn't that our job? 
which really is our best evangelism, right? It's our best evangelism to just live it out. To live this out. God's my portion in this tragedy. Yes, she, she had to, I, I think it took her years. But she had a big God and he brought her through that big storm. Joy or pain, jubilation or sorrow, gladness or grief. God is our portion. He is our inheritance. He's our cup. He really is better than anything this life can give, and He is better than anything death can take. Yahweh satisfies the heart of the true believer. He's our reward. I know I go back. This is another one of those verses. You're just going to have to get used to it. I'm always going to go back to it. What God told Abraham, I'm your reward. The King James translation, I'm your reward. I love this. God's my reward. Nothing less than God. Nothing less than God is the reward of the magnificent ones or the excellent ones. Psalm 16.5 is true whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley of the shadow of death. David says, God, you support my lot. What does that mean? What does lot mean? I think you know what it means. Situation, condition, circumstances, destiny, future. God supports all of that for me. In other words, God, you hold me, you uphold me, you keep hold of me, you'll never let go of me. You know, our assurance is not just now, it's forever. Our assurance is forever. We'll never taste hell. We, we can't taste hell. We've been redeemed. We've been given from the Father to the Son. It's a done deal. We're His forever. Amen? I mean, yeah, I know you have hard times. I know you get depressed. I know life can be hard sometimes. But man, just think about that. Think about that. Your biggest problem has been dealt with. It's been dealt with. It's over. Infinite joy awaits. I know today's hard. We all have those days. But the day is coming soon. Amen? The day is coming soon. You know that great Psalm, Psalm 31, 14, 15. The psalmist says, David says, my times are in your hands. Don't you love that? My times, my times are in your hands. <laughs> so whatever comes, whatever comes is from God. Verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. The lines David mentions here are understood to be border lines or boundaries. Pleasant places could be translated simply pleasures. Uh, heritage could be translated as inheritance. I, I was reading Piper on this. I just want to share his take on this. John Piper. His paraphrase is something like this. God is the sovereign who holds David's lot. God uses that power to make himself David's beautiful inheritance. I love this, right? God uses that power to make himself David's beautiful inheritance. And I, this is my favorite part. He fences David into the pleasures of knowing him, right? We're fenced in. The boundaries, the Lord has laid the boundaries down for us. They're pleasant to us because it's Him. In one sense, there are no boundaries. It's all, it's all infinite. It's all eternal. But I love, the, I love the poetry here. I love the imagery here. God becomes David's treasure. 
David understands whether he's standing before Goliath or confessing his sin of murder and adultery. He understands that life is about getting God. Life is about getting God. Verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. David says, I will praise and adore God who has instructed me, right? Just like he instructs us. He instructs us here. How many times did you have this open this week? Just be honest with yourself. This is where he instructs us. You know, I don't need to get a word from God. I've got a word here. You know, I, I don't need to get revelation, you know, supernatural revelation. Not that the Holy Spirit doesn't do a thing. But I don't have to get a, a new revelation, a new word from God. I've got it right here. I've got all I need right here. Right here. You know, this whole new revelation thing, it's kind of like, I, I'm going to use the word, I can't help it. It's blasphemy. It's just blasphemy. I'm sorry. God has given us what we need. God has given us what we need. God is his teacher. Psalm 119, 102, and 103. God is our teacher. In verse 32 of Psalm 119, the psalmist says a most beautiful thing, something I've always loved. We shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. We learned a new word yesterday, gob smacked. Who knows what gob, G-O-B, smacked means? Anybody know? Well, it's, an, it's British slang. It means I am astounded. Gob smacked. One of our European friends brought us up to speed on that. My heart is enlarged. I am gobsmacked. I am gobsmacked. Paul says it like this over in Ephesians 3. He talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts that we may be able to comprehend the incomprehensible. What is the breadth the length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God counsels us into that place. I love this. I hope you know this place. It surpasses knowledge. You're beyond the words. <laughs> You're beyond the words. You know, it's like Paul talks about words that men are not permitted to speak. You're up in, you're up in there. You know, it's like that door C.S. Lewis talks about that's just cracked. And all you can see is this shining glory coming through. You can just, bear, you can just only see this little bit of shining glory uh, shining through. But we're going to walk through that door soon. That's death. We're not afraid of it. Man, we can't, in one sense, we can't wait. We want to be used of God while we're here. Use me up. Surpasses knowledge. It makes me think of those. I think it's why the four living creatures, they, they don't ever get tired of looking at God. Because it's, there's, there's always new. It's always new. Beauty. More beauty. More glory. More genius. More power. More love. More mercy. 
more holiness. It just never stops. It's just a cascade. It's like Niagara Falls. You can't hold it back. Verse 8. I have set the Lord. Here it is. This is, this is. this is why we're in Psalm 16. Are you doing this? Can I, can I say this lovingly as a pastor? Don't come whine to me about something if you're not doing that. If you're not doing verse 8. That's the first thing I'm going to ask you. The other thing is that I think it's Psalm 37. What is it? Four maybe. Are you delighting in God? You got a problem? Okay, we all have problems. But are you delighting in God? That's the first question I ask. The, the first and or second question I ask. The other one will be, are you doing Psalm 16, 8? Have you set God continually before you? And because he's at your right hand, you don't have to come whine to me. Now, Karen will get on to me. She's saying, now, you're going to scare people off. They're going to think you're mean. No, I'm trying to just make a point. Karen, this is, this is a rhetorical rhetoric. I'm just trying to make a point here. Because I'm going to get the lecture. I'm going to get the lecture. She says, Jim, don't say, don't say you know, you got to shut up. I mean, she, she, she doesn't like that. So we had, a, we had a good talk yesterday, didn't we, baby? We did. Okay. Anyway. Um, I'm just trying to make a point. I just want to make a point. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Just trying to make a point. David looks continually at God. He can live huge and die well. Every day he gets up, by faith, he can glorify God. So you can do exactly what David did. The particulars are different, but you can do exactly what he did. You can live, you can live Psalm 16. David says, I'm looking at my breathtaking God and I will not be shaken. I mean, yeah, he could have written Romans 8, 31, if God is for us. Who could be against us? Verse 9. Look at it. Look, I love this. Okay, there's a verse 8. And then there's a therefore, right? Therefore what? If, if, if all he said thus far is true, therefore, my heart is what? You tell me. What does your Bible say? My heart is glad. I don't care about the circumstance. He's not talking about circumstance. My heart is glad. We talked about this with Mueller last week at the, the Attributes of God study. Mueller's, what he assigned himself to do every morning was to be happy in God. That was his first job. Now, he had maybe up to a, a thousand or two kids that he had to look after and a, a, all kinds of other ministry interests. But, you know, his first job was to be happy in God. Some of you aren't doing it. I'm just guessing. None of us are perfect in this. But, wait, boy, it's, it's really something that we should consider, something we should shoot for. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. He's got this confidence, this assurance, right? I looked at, Brad's got me... He's got me looking at this NET Bible, the New English Translation. I like what it says. It says, so my heart rejoices and I am happy. My life is safe. I may have to cry today, but my life is safe. Amen. My soul is safe. 
Satan can't have me. Can't have me. He can't have me. You know, I always love Paul's words there in 2 Corinthians 10. We may be sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. We may have nothing, but we possess all things. Amen? We never, never, never let our circumstances dictate our view of God. We always, always, always let our view of God dictate our view of our circumstances. It's my favorite memory verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. If you need a memory verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is where you need to go for a couple of reasons, principally because it's good theology. But I can remember it. It's rejoice always. This is, this is the aroma of our lives, right? I will be glad. I look at God. I will be glad. I look at God. I will be glad. Incessantly glad. Constantly glad. Persistently glad. Relentlessly glad. I cannot be shaken. Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One, to undergo decay. Obviously, David is expressing his confidence that Yahweh is more powerful than death. I referenced it earlier. We, we understand this as New Testament Christians. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? We don't look at the grave. We look at God. We know that this text is applied to Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament in several places, Acts 2 and Acts 13. For us, death will be very much like stepping through an open door. A door that opens from this fallen, cruel, hard, dangerous place into verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. <clears throat> In your right hand there are pleasures forever. You know, he shows us how to walk the only life that there is. Every other way is death, right? God's way is the path of life. Every other way is death. So if you're not on God's pathway, you're, you're dead and you will be eternally dead. I love this verse. In, in my view, this is as close as the Bible comes in just a few sentences to, to describe heaven. Fullness of joy, pleasures forever. <laughs> Piper says, there's nothing fuller than full and there's nothing longer than forever. And it's your inheritance. It is our inheritance. Have I quoted Peter Pan since I've been here? I, I, have, I have a Peter Pan quote I like to use about heaven. Um, if you thought, thought about it for a few minutes, you'd come up with it. To die would be an awfully big adventure. Amen? To die would be an awfully big adventure. That's true for us. It's true for us. David is driving that point home for us, I think. Fullness of joy and pleasures forever. It's what the new heaven and new earth will be for David. So many biblical scholars believe David is, writes Psalm 16 in the face of danger or trial, but he looks at God. He can live huge 
and he can die well. As I close, I was thinking about, I know I use this too much too, but some, there's just a few things you're going to have to get over, right? If you're going to let me preach, you're going to have to get over a few things. But I love that, uh, that quote by Braveheart in that movie. I never forgot it. When I heard it, I don't know. I'm sure he plagiarized it, um, whoever wrote the screenplay. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Right? right. David says, this is how you do it. <laughs> you look at God. This is how you live. You look at God. So in summation, David says, Yahweh is my good. He is my portion. He is my inheritance. He is my cup. He is my lot. He is my counselor. He is my savior. He is my joy. And he is my delight. And I know this because I look at him. And I meditate. And I spend time alone with him. David is gobsmacked. David says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Let's pray together.